0: Thank you for tuning in and thank you for listening. This is the Elevate Podcast. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you have come to the right place once again. My guest this episode is a former collegiate athlete himself and currently the mental performance coach for the Cleveland Indians. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Brian Miles. How are you doing
1: today from spring training? It's uh, another beautiful day here in Goodyear, Arizona. Um, you know, my wife will hate me for saying this, but I know it's cold and snowy in Cleveland where she is, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to soak in as much sun as I can while I can get it. You know, I,
0: I can, we just got off a couple of days of zero degrees here and it's sunny. So we'll, we'll take some sunshine, um, uh, down at spring training, uh, how did you get there? Uh, mental performance coach, what led you into that field and, and into the role you have now with uh, the Cleveland Indians?
1: I think uh, probably like most mental performance coaches you talk to, you know, we were the former athlete who uh, maybe somehow got suckered into getting like our bachelor's degree in psychology and realized you could do nothing with a bachelor's degree in psychology. And so um, I think it's, it's a little bit about, at least for me, there was, there was, an understanding of this competitiveness and sport um, played college soccer was, you know, always interested in sort of like that crossroad of, of where the mind meets the body and understanding about, you know, the, the best ways to sort of get the most out of each individual. Um, and so you know, I, I think like anybody were like, oh if I had only known what I knew now back then, what could have actually yeah. happened? Um and I think that was a little bit of like the journey that I, I embarked on. Um was always interested in in coaching soccer and um and even learning about like, you know, skill acquisition and how do you how do you coach and how do you make it so that you have this knowledge up here, but it transfers to maybe it's an eight-year-old, maybe it's an 18-year-old. Yeah. Um and and leaning into a little bit of what that looks like. And so um, you know, the, the field of mental performance for me, I was always drawn to it, um, captivated by the mind. Um, you know, I think there's, there's still this great mystery in, in what the human being is capable of. Um, you see these incredible high performers and you see these feats and and you start to just wonder what led them to get that ability. Yeah. You know, there's this unique space of mental performance for ex- exploration of, of really what that area is and what that topic. And I think we're just scratching the surface of it. And. Um, I, I think it's been that curiosity that's drawn me to this and to explore it more. And so um, you know, I think that's a little bit of what's got me. I, I'd be remiss without saying, you know. Grad school, Springfield College, incredible program with counseling. Um, sort of that counseling background and learning those soft skills, yeah. and then working for the military really taught me those hard skills. Um, really taught me how to understand mental performance, uh, how to how to transfer that language to soldiers and to to high performers. Um, yeah. and, and the army really taught me about feedback too. You know, like chinking away that armor of of like, this is about me when it's really not about you. Yeah. You know, really understanding um, that the ego and the defense mechanisms pop up pretty quickly when you get feedback. And and that experience working for the Army really helped me lean into and yearn for feedback for the increase in performance and, and recognizing it's not about you.
0: Yeah. Can
1: you, for the next
0: question, you brought up a good point. Um, talk, a, can you talk a little bit about, that eight-year-old to 18-year-old difference and just you know how I, I've seen kind of some people too and, and probably been guilty of myself at times of, of bringing a, a tool or skill that isn't age ready yet or or something like that can you, can you talk about kind of a little bit of that evolution
1: I think that there's I, I just you know I think sometimes we need to have that empathy and bring ourselves back into the sport when we were that young um, and just what it's really about you know and 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 listen i understand especially in america and i mean i watch a ton of european soccer so i understand sort of like european academies and soccer don't get me wrong they start young and i I think that's a very real thing um but like we need to meet athletes where they are one of the best things i ever learned in our counseling program was that athletes will oftentimes take you where they need to go where an eight-year-old is going to take you versus where an 18 year old is going to take you is vastly different as a coach or as a mental performance coach, again, if we're letting the athlete take us where they need to go, then we'll, we'll be able to understand sort of that age component, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's probably the most important part um, is meeting the athlete where they are and, and not trying to um, take them where you want them to go. Uh, yeah. And, and that, that takes self-discipline, that takes a lot less talking and a lot more listening. Um, and that's, that takes a lot of question asking too. And, uh, you know, that, that's probably a, a huge area that the counseling skills really helped me, um, as we, as we sort of look at what the work is in, in the military right. and professional baseball too.
0: Very cool. Um, so down there in Arizona for a while, as they, they, gear up for another season, what is, what is it like for you and what are you doing to prime and get these guys ready classroom sessions on the field? one-on-ones, what, what are the things that you're doing with them to get them mentally prepared this spring?
1: Well, it's, it's a COVID year, so it's, it's <laughs> definitely different than normal. Um, you know, I, I somehow have a locker in my office now, just because we're trying to space out our lockers. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm happy to maybe talk a little bit. So in a non-COVID year, um, you know, it's, it's probably the, the the few times where we can get those group sessions. It's just everyone's in one building for 55 straight days, no off days, just grinding, kind of getting after it. And it's it's a preparation phase, right? It's a buildup, and I think players and staff are are trying to to build up sort of their their mental repertoire as much as they are their physical and fundamental repertoires as well. And um, you know, there's there's a lot of unknown and ambiguity. I think there's, there's, there's people that come in and they recognize that they're, you know, they're a veteran and they're going to start and they're going to do their thing. And they're just, they're in that preparation phase. We, we have young guys that come in who um, who basically are told like, Hey, we're just giving you an opportunity here to, to get your feet wet in, in major league spring training. And like, you're not going to make the team, but we want you to have that experience. And, and they're excited and they're loose and they're, they're having fun and it's different. And then there's that group in the middle that are, are competing for jobs and, sure. You know, there's there's a lot of pressure on, on them, and 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 that that pressure is is brought on by themselves and sort of how they're interpreting and understanding the situation. Um, that tends to be a lot of the conversations that we have during spring training, right? Is like like how much how much are you engaged in, engaged in your process versus the results, and and what does that process look like, and how are you able to to sort of lean into that more versus living and dying by each swing or each pitch. Um, and so you know, that's that's fun, and um, you know my, my office at times can be a revolving door. Um, I've got a lot of books in there that players want to come and read. I've got a big whiteboard. I've got some puzzles in there that players like to engage in and just mess around. Cause I think they're looking for a little bit of a break or a reprive. Um, and, you know, we spend a lot of time with coaches too. And um, you know, coaches have to have tough conversations during, yeah. uh, during spring training, coaches, coaches have to give, you know, feedback during spring training and sort of understanding how that process goes and, and what they're trying to engage with, with the player. Um, There's, there's just a a lot of moving parts. It's a, it's a long day at spring training. And I I think even for myself, you know, having strong routines and habits, like it's the time where I'm like, okay, I'm going to buckle down and get up and go to the gym. And like, I can do that. And I have that space and uh, I'm going to eat well because we have good food here and it's available and it's easy. And it's like, making the right decision. So I think as much as we're helping performers, we're performers in ourselves and, and, and modeling that behavior. Um, And, you know, again, I think, I think learning is messy and ugly and scary at times. And the more as coaches we can model that messy, ugly, scary behavior um, the more apt the individuals that we're trying to help will lean into that that sensation and that tension, and that's that's what I, I think we try to model during spring training and throughout the season. Yeah,
0: I love that you brought that up because I'm a, just a big believer in it, when it comes to team leadership, just that coaches being able to demonstrate that messy vulnerability and that we're not perfect, we don't have it all figured out. Um, can you talk a little bit about the positives of what vulnerability? can create within an individual and a team?
1: I have a sheet of paper in front of me, no joke with with notes on it. And in the, in the bottom, like after all the questions you asked, I have in huge letters, like humility, vulnerability and acceptance. And so I just, I kind of, I kind of dig that that's the route that you you went a little bit. So um, it's, it's hard, right? It's, it's, it's professional sports. And like, they don't get me wrong. They're like, results do matter. Like this yeah. is, this is these individuals jobs. And so if you don't perform well, there are times where yes, you can lose your job. That's a real thing. And I think again, so I think as a mental performance coach, our ability to be vulnerable and to share and to self-disclose and to be humble with the way that we work through things, oftentimes, again, it creates the psychological safety that I think a lot of us are looking for with the folks that we work with. Um, if a coach can do it, I think that it allows that player more comfortability to engage in making adjustments and changes, right? Because, you know, I think a scary thing for coaches at times is like, this individual is part of the 1% in this sport, and they got here doing something that got them here. And and maybe that thing is, is just slightly not working. And we have a chance to make them even just 1% better, which is going to be massive in, in the scale and scheme of things and how do we take this one percent performer and and engage in that conversation about making a change that we you know that you and i just talked about is uncomfortable messy ugly and that you're you know you're gonna look ugly before you look awesome and and there's that's scary right because you're on a stage where people see you do that every night it's on tv it's on twitter There people make gifts of it like people can comment about it um and so, you know, again, how do we separate that? And I think vulnerability and humility is a huge part of coaching. Um, and the more you do that, the more ch- players will trust you. And and that that's what we're looking for because we want to trust our players and we want our players to trust you. And when you have that environment um, where you can be honest and um, you can lean into a guy and you can also wrap your arm around a guy, man, those are like the best places to go work. And those are the places where when you walk in the door, even after a long day, you're just like, I'm. I'm so pumped to be here. And and that's what I think the environment that a lot of people are trying to create.
0: Love it. What is, uh, you have a favorite tool or skill right now that you like to teach? Um, You know, I know we talked about the listening and I know sometimes performance coaches like to, there's a lot to tell and teach, right? Um, But is there something right now, maybe it has something to do with kind of the unpredictableness of COVID. Is there a skill or tool that you find yourself teaching a lot right now that you enjoy you
1: know i'll I'll certainly lean into something probably over the past year um and it's funny because i've i've been having the conversation with players and staff but also a ton with our front office and 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 honestly my my friends and family so i think it's transferable i think it's relatable but um and i know you had recently nicole gabbana on here uh who i went to school with and it's just incredible but like it's you know it's gratitude and optimism. And, you know, I look at that as a tick of, of the hard skill of actually hunting the good stuff. And so for me, the skill is, is hunting the good and, you know, being really deliberate about that verb, like hunt is a verb and there is a reason that hunt is there. And it's because like we are inundated with the negative things. We, we have a negativity bias that obviously was was so important in caveman and cave women times right like when you were hunting and there was a saber-tooth tiger there and you had to remember that like oh my, my brain is, is is ready for survival and so like i'm going to remember and wait the bad things because that's what keeps me alive well you know we're you know 13,000 years past that now and yet our brain still has that function and still has that survival technique and so we are waiting the bad things more than the good we are remembering the bad things more than the good. We are seeing the bad things more than the good. And so when I've been talking about optimism and gratitude, it's, it's been about being incredibly proactive with the actions of gratitude and optimism. And so hunting the good stuff is about actually seeking it out and finding it and being deliberate with the practice of gratitude and optimism. And so, you know, the conversations with folks have been, do you want to drastically change, do you want to drastically change your life and those around you? Then it's just changing some of the questions that you ask people and the questions you ask yourself. So instead of asking your children when they got home from school, how was your day at school today? Asking them, tell me one good thing that happened at school today. Instead of asking your significant other when they get home from work, hey, how was your day at work? In which they're going to unload all the bad things that happened at work and the people that annoyed them. It's, hey, tell me one good thing that happened at work today. And instead of starting your meetings with, hey, does anyone have anything today? Start your meetings with, let me hear two people tell me two good things that happened to them today. You're increasing creativity, you're increasing optimism, gratitude. Um, you know, you're, you're changing the, the psychological functioning of your brain, of your body, what it does to you. Um, optimism and gratitude are contagious. And so you're, you're creating an environment in that room that just flows. And so you know, with everything we have going on in the world, It's, it's been about hunting the good. Like for me, and especially at home, like, I'm just like everybody else. It's, it's hard. You have family, you have work, you have things that are happening. And you just really have to remember the good things. And, And sometimes it is hard. And sometimes it's something super small, just like I hit a lot of green lights on the way to work today. <laughs> so that was good for me. You know, and other times it's your kid gets into college or other times it's just like that coffee tasted extra good today. Um, and so I think there's there's a deliberateness to it that that we've really been, been trying to work towards.
0: No doubt. I was recently listening to an interview, uh, I think it was on Instagram Live with an NFL player. And one of the questions he got asked was, and this player had gone through some addiction and recovery and he's back on the field. And they said, do you ever stop in the middle of the field and look around and just kind of soak it all in and, and be in awe. And it was so cool. Cause he said, yeah, but I've also trained myself that I can do that anywhere I'm at throughout the day. And I think That's that horrible. was just, and I, I just thought that was so cool because it's easy to be in awe when you're in a stadium packed and they're cheering for you. But when you're outdoors and it smells funny and there's nothing brick wall to look at, you know, what are you hunting for? Yep. You know? And yeah. so I I like that it was, you know, you can't just also expect that perspective to pop on when you cross the lines too. So, um, how do you see goals? I feel like sometimes this is a debated topic now and, uh, goals versus I know I'm big into to daily tracking, but there's, I think there's a place for goals. How do you work through that? Because I think baseball players probably have some achievement goals, measurements. How do you see that working effectively to be a a positive impact and not a stress, stressful one?
1: I I think you're probably right on the uh, the debate. I mean, listen, goal setting has its place. Um, Smart goals, they have their place. I'm like, I get it. You know, Roger that. I'm with you on it. I think they all have a place. I'd probably rather focus on a player's individual process versus the goals that they're trying to accomplish. Um, So what's interesting is like, especially in baseball, if you ask a younger player, like, what are your goals this season? Like they'll, they'll pop out some results oriented things, right? I want to hit 300. I want to do this. I want to do that. And it's like, okay, we we need to like, we need to really kind of go back a little bit. We need to like start to dig and, uh, and uncover things and, um, you know, I had read this thing by Marcus Aubrey one time, he talks about a results versus process paradox. So so he says, like, how do we collapse the paradox of wanting something that is outcome dependent, but recognizing that the journey towards that outcome is actually where you need to focus. And so that's, that's how I look at our process. Like our daily process is the journey to the outcome that we eventually want. And so how deliberate are you being with your journey? And so when I break down even journey, it's what are you doing every day? Like how deliberate are you being with your daily habits every single day? So from what you're putting into your body, what you're eating, to what you're doing in the gym, to how much sleep you're getting. I mean, this is all stuff before you even get to the field. Yeah. To, you know, how much intent do you have in your cage work and in your side pen or in your bullpen? To, you know, again, to like okay now you're back in the clubhouse and you're eating again like what are you putting into your body when you go out and you take bp are you going through the motions or are you being present with every single pitch like when you're out there shagging bp are you like just going through the motions again just like catching like catching up with the boys or are you taking like quality you know balls off the bat to try to see and and try to improve your reads and what you're trying to do that stuff all leads up to when you play a game right so that's like all day you're taking skill in all day you're taking it in and your three hours to play the game is your chance to let the skill out like that's the fun part that's the that's the easy there shouldn't be any worries during that time because if you've done everything that you need to do to be in the best position to be successful that night you can easily go to bed afterwards and be like i did everything i had to do so whether i was successful or not i prepared and put myself in the best position to, to to be successful and so you know again I'd rather break down goals into just like your daily habits and what you're doing and really identifying what that process is. Because if you're super deliberate about the process and the journey, chances are if you're putting your focus, intent and effort onto those things, chances are you'll, you'll get the results you eventually want.
0: Yeah. Love it. Uh, is there a lesson? I'll bring it up. I don't know if you know, I, I'm sorry, I used to work for the White Sox in my early 20s. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, I got that's a Jim that's a Jim Tomy uh, 500 home run club when nice. I worked there. But uh, observing him and having that opportunity in those years, one lesson I, I saw from him, from even his, he was one of the older guys. He was always first in the clubhouse, first to arrive. One of the greatest attitudes, and that was just from observing him. I was like, man, Hall of Famers show up first, All Stars next, and then the rest. Yeah. And that was kind of whether it was the Yankees, Indians, White. It didn't matter. It just kind of that you just saw the people arrive, kind of took note. But is there a lesson in your experience? Of course, no need to single out any player or anything, but something that you've observed either from another coach or player that man, that's that's something I can use or self reflect upon.
1: Man, there's. I mean, I feel like every day when I'm talking to my when I'm talking to the coaches or talking to the players, I'm just like, man. Like you're doing more of my job than I'm doing of my job, but holy cow. And I, I, again, it's the wealth of experience. And I think, you know, we're super lucky here because of our, our major coaching staff is so experienced. And so, um, you yeah, know, something really interesting that I actually heard the other day from one of our coaches was, so he, he talked about sort of like the big moment, right? Where it's just like, you can feel it in the stadium, right? You can feel the momentum is going to go one way or the other. Um, and, he talked about a player that was on a previous team with him and how, you know, he was like a third base coach and he's sitting there and he's like, you know, the moment's huge. And this player, you know, he felt like he's like, this guy's taking forever to get into the box. It's like, what's he doing? You know, he's like, I'm, I'm ready to go. Like, I'm, I'm nervous for him and everything. And, and he was watching this player was just taking his time. And what he said to me was like, he gets into the box when he's ready to get into the box. And he said, he doesn't let anyone else dictate it and it just it really made me think about just the readiness of a player whether it's a pitcher or a position player or a fielder and the idea that you know there's very little control in the game of baseball Mm -hmm. and and when you can when you can grab control and and truly engage when it's when it's your time and when you're fully present I feel like that gives you the best chance to be successful. And I think in a game that is very easy to be pulled out of the present and like, this is like the most common phrase I'm probably saying in, in, in work like each day is like you, (laughs) you can't change the past and you can't predict the future, but you can influence the now, right? Like you, you can't change the past. Can't, you can't predict the future, but you can influence the now it's like, this is the only time, this is the only place that you can do something. But like, because baseball is so slow and the game is so slow, it's like, man, if you're up there in the batter's box and you missed the pitch that you wanted to hit, it's like, your mind just immediately goes back to like everything that happened in that past 30 seconds. And again, it's like, then 25 seconds goes by. And it's like, all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, I gotta get back in the box. And it's like, you're just not there. You're not prepared. You're not ready. And so I think being deliberate when you can about like it being on your time, I just, I loved that concept. And I, I feel like it's so relevant to, to being present and to being the moment and don't get me wrong. Like, you know, there's, there's, there's not a lot of those opportunities, but the, the more aware and deliberate you can be, I think the better opportunity you have to be success. And, and that's, that's grabbing some control in a game where there's just not very much of it.
0: Yeah. I spend a lot of time around the game of football and I think, Quarterbacks would probably agree that when the play clock's not coming down on them hard, you know, doing it on you, know, when the play clock's not on your breathing down your neck, that second, <laughs> yeah. I think, right? And, uh, um, I let it made me think about him. Ken Revisa would, you know, if you're, when you're in the box, be in the box, in the right? Box. Yep. And I just love how that even kind of takes it a little step further mm-hmm. of you no, know, get in the box when you're ready and then be in the box.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I like that, yeah. uh, like, like you has a little control before I I go in. So um, love that idea. Uh, Is there a best time in the day or, you know, typically you got, you know, in baseball, long baseball season, night game, you got a lot of time at the ballpark in the afternoon, uh, some late nights, travel, you know, some getaway day games, turnarounds. Is there a time that you find best to, work on the middle game, whether throughout the day or in between series
1: or, or as as it comes? I, I mean, I don't know if this is a cop-out answer, but it's what it's something I believe, but before, during, and after.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, you should be working on the mental game before the game. You, you, you should be engaging in it during the game, and you should certainly work on it after. And again, to the extent and pull of what each of those is, um, that's up to the individual player and the comfort they have in it. But, but man, you know, there's there's so much that goes into the game before you get there. There's so much that goes into the game when it's going on. And for a lot of guys, the game keeps going after the final pitch and after the final out and being able to be really deliberate with that time and space afterwards and to to be able to let go and to be able to accept, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a huge deal. And, and that's, you know, I think a lot of times what, what we, we are talking about with after the game is like, how do you move on? How do you close the so-called book on that, that night's performance and, and be okay to go home to your family or to sleep. Right. And to, to be able to kind of engage and, and then, and then come back the next day, ready to perform.
0: Is there a common phrase that you hear that makes you <laughs> cringe? whether it be in regards to the mental performance or baseball or something that when you hear a coach say, well-intentioned, but could be better. <laughs>
1: uh, you know, it's funny. You gave me this question and I, I didn't really think about it, right? So I, I actually think Duncan Simpson posted something from IMG the other day about like, about like phrases that like rubbed people the wrong way. And I saw a bunch of them. I was like, oh, crap, man. I think I say that a lot. I got to probably tighten up my stuff here. But, okay, so I'd say, and maybe it's like an over, like an all-encompassing thing, but so when people talk about the grind, right, and they talk about the grind, and they talk about like, you know, up before the sun, home after it, you can sleep when you're dead, like fill in the blank, right? One of those. Like high performers invest in their rest and recovery. High performers are amazing separators. They know that their sport is what they do and not who they are they understand the ebb and the flow of performance they know when they need to push and they know when they need to pull back like they are as disciplined with their work as they are with their recovery Mm -hmm. and part of their work is their recovery and so for me like i i i talk sleep all the time i talk being a good separator all the time i talk about leaving your life backpack at the gate of the stadium and picking up your baseball backpack when you're in there, and then leaving your baseball backpack at the stadium and picking up your life backpack. Like, I am all about investing in rest and recovery. And the idea, don't get me wrong, like, you got to work. Like, I'm I'm not downplaying hard work. But be deliberate and disciplined with your hard work. And then you don't have to do it from sunrise to sunset. Like, be intentional about it. Understand what time with your family actually does for you as a performer, because um, wow. I can tell you one thing: what my what my time with my daughter and wife does for me is absolutely unbelievable for my ability to do my job, like unbelievable. And and I would never be where I am right now if it wasn't for my wife and the sacrifices that we've both made, but specifically her for the like care that she gives to my daughter when I'm not there. Um, and so. I can't, I don't want people to like get it twisted, but yeah, like you need to invest in rest and recovery. You need to invest in like being a good separator. Yeah. I
0: feel like a bodybuilder mentality bleeds in just cause you <laughs> lift some weights and you know, more might be better, but I think quality, just like mm-hmm. you said. And uh, do you find, uh, at least from my experience sometimes with, top performers on teams or or, or people that are are willing to work hard i think sometimes that's the thing they need to learn the most is is that i know i don't have to tell you to work hard i need you to rest and be ready do you find that especially with young guys maybe trying to prove themselves or or something that that's sometimes the the priority
1: (laughs) yeah and i think it comes back i think it even comes back to just like their daily habits and routines right so it's like like So if you, if you are disciplined in the cage and you, you take X number of swings in the cage with like incredible intent and discipline and with a plan of what you want to accomplish, like you don't have to come back later that day and go swing in the cage for a hundred more swings because you, you accomplished everything you needed to. And so again, I think it comes back to intentionality and, and discipline, um, because you know yeah like you said like more is not better and, and and i think like sports science and and workload will start to show you that more is not better quality is better
0: yep. i started wearing one of those whoop things just from coach and it's like i need to learn how to rest and recover better <laughs> and it, 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 man it's it's made a difference for sure just uh, to be at my best so last question one we love to ask our guests here how do you define success brian
1: there's a lot of interest when you, when I got this question from you Um, and I, I really did think about it. And I think the way that I would define success is I think success is giving. So I think success is giving back to the field of mental performance. I think success is giving to our coaches, giving to our players, giving to our families. Um, I just think the ability to be a giver And, and to understand that it's not about you and it's about them. And I think that gives you like the best opportunity to be put into a position where you really can be successful. Um, I had a quote the other day that Adam Grant said, I want to make sure I actually read it right. I wrote it down, but he says, he says, being a giver is not good for the hundred yard dash, but it's valuable in a marathon. And so I've thought about, you know, our life is a marathon. And it's the benefits that we'll find that we will find in performance, in relationships, and well-being, like that far outweighs the quick 100-yard dash of being a taker and letting our ego drive. And so, you know, I, I look at success as as giving back um, in whatever form that might be for you. But um, giving more than taking is, is is a huge part, I think, of the way that I view mental performance and 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 the world that we work in. And so. that's that's been really important to me
0: ryan that was awesome my man thank you so much for uh coming on and uh recording with me today
1: i appreciate it um you know again I, i i love the episodes and i i told you before we even jumped on just like the succinctness of them of getting that quick 30 minute hit of of what what our peers are doing and some of the work it's it's been an absolute blast so i obviously appreciate it so much for the opportunity to be on here
0: Yeah, and last thing too, uh, people that are listening, where can they find you on social media? If they want to find more of what
1: you got going on, where can they find you? Um, So my Twitter handle uh, is Brian C. Miles. Um, That's probably the, the main place that I'm posting some stuff. And, uh, like I obviously have LinkedIn and would be more than happy to engage and share again, talk about giving. And I think that's really important, especially in our field. So, um, you know, if anyone's listening and everyone wants to talk, talk mental performance or anything else that we talked about on here, please don't hesitate to reach out.